I'm telling you right now, I'm not interested in crumbs off your table because I know how much food is on there. I had the courage to run and be at that table. I know how much bounty is on that table. Don't give me the crumbs. I'm not interested in that today. Don't you dare give me the crumbs that fall off that table because I know how much food is on it. We're winding down the last few episodes of this season, and one of the themes of our last few episodes has been the complicity of our local leaders, specifically leaders who call themselves progressive or liberal, all while they've been passive in moving forward with progressive action. This kind of complicit inaction is coming as we see a continual rise in anti-black racism in Edmonton, among other things that negatively impact the community. We've talked specifically about the failure of Edmonton's soon-to-be former mayor Don Iveson, and the city council, among other politicians, that have made the decision to keep our inflated $300-plus-million-dollar police budget to clear Camp Pekawewin and its homeless residents with police force and continually use clearly performative committees at the city council level to combat racism in our city. We're now at the point where six black Muslim women have been attacked right here in Edmonton in the last few months. And politicians like Don Iveson are still giving the public the exact same lukewarm response. Our leaders always say that racism has no place here or that it's not acceptable. But without meaningful action or listening to our communities, they're actually sending a message that racism does in fact have a place here. So performative politics and a lack of meaningful action are a big part of today's show. In our interview that touches on the politics of exclusion tokenism, and pandering with our guest Selena Cesar Chavin. Recently, Selena was in the spotlight after an interview with Vice where she detailed the moment in a meeting where she called Justin Trudeau a motherfucker and fake as fuck after receiving an angry rant from the Prime Minister who was upset with her desire to resign from her position in government the same day as Jody Wilson-Raybould, an indigenous woman at the center of the SNC-Lavalin scandal. He also claimed that Selena should appreciate him more and that he's tired of people talking about his privilege. All of this news is coming as Selena released her new book, which includes more of her experiences as the only black woman in federal politics at the time. She's able to open up more explicitly about these experiences in book form now that she isn't in the political arena anymore. Stories like in 2018 when Selena clashed with Maxim Bernier, when he criticized the first time Canada's federal government funded programs for racialized Canadians. This exchange with Bernier included Selena asking him to check his privilege and be quiet. A comment that she was criticized for and called racist by Bernier, all while she received next to no support from most of her party colleagues at the time. After numerous incidents and her history with Liberal Party mistreatment, Selena decided to leave the party because of increased frustrations with tokenism and being constantly sidelined without the ability to implement meaningful policy changes or even work outside of representative positions as the only black woman in parliament. When Selena was still an MP, she pushed her party to seriously consider mandatory minimum sentencing reform, which is now being tabled as Bill C-22 by the Liberals. This bill targets some, but not all, of sentencing rules that force judges to incarcerate people under 72 potential offenses for a minimum amount of jail time. Use of mandatory sentencing 
has been shown to correlate directly with disproportional incarceration of black and indigenous Canadians, which is a big reason why Selena pushed for these laws to be changed. Six years after the Liberal Party promised sentencing reform, now we're seeing without a majority government a bill being tabled as Bill C-22 to bring an end to these sentences and practices, but much later and like I said, without the approval of other federal parties, it won't happen. The Liberals didn't do anything when they had the real power of a majority to enact meaningful change to sentencing laws, and chose instead to opt into an almost purely performative political play by tabling the bill now without a majority government. Since leaving the government, Selena has continued to call out inaction and political moves that hurt the black community. In our interview today, we touch on her struggles in liberal politics, the potential for change in that system, and what the future of politics can be in Canada. So with that being said, here's today's interview with Selena Caesar Chauvin. How did your career and passion for politics begin, um, and what kind of policy issues were particularly important to you at the time when you first started out? So before I got into politics, I owned a healthcare-based research management firm. And one of the, we ran clinical trials for pharmaceutical companies, mostly around neurological research, so brain research. And uh, in 2013, the company was reaching around 10 years old. So we were were about eight years old at the time. And I was managing or co-chairing Canada's first national epidemiology study on neurological conditions. And I was finding from the research that people were having to leave one province and move to another in order to ensure that medication was covered because it wasn't covered under one formulary and it would be covered under another. Or couples had to separate in order to get services covered. So that was sort of the understanding of, oh my goodness, like, you know, you could use policy to help change that for people or at least help make their lives better. So really passionate about the brain, really passionate about bringing equity in that system, but not like, I would say that right at the beginning of me being in politics, it wasn't, I wasn't as sort of committed to it. You know what I mean? It was, it was going through the process because I just thought, you know, you go in there and it's politics. We have a majority government, it's government done differently. It's bold, transformative, sunny ways. So obviously, they're just going to do it, right? It's very easy. I'm not asking for anything that's not easy. And I found that as I was in the process of the first couple of years, just some of the things that I experienced, I realized, huh, this is going to be a lot harder to fight for equity than I thought. Um, And I think the passion, the real passion came in about halfway through my, my term in government, so around September 2017. Why, why the Liberal Party at the time? And um, can you maybe describe um, what the political culture was like um, when you were coming in? Because I know there were a lot of things that were, I'd say, pretty historic when it comes to folks who care about, you know, equity, folks who care about diversity, those kind of things. Um, but how did you kind of see it from uh, your perspective as a black woman? What were some things that you saw as early red flags um, as a Liberal MP? So why liberal? Um, you know, my parents were liberal. We have this uh, we have this affinity towards the Liberal Party that wasn't until two years into politics. I was like, why do we just vote for them automatically? <laughs> 
<laughs> but anyhow, my parents had always voted liberal. So, you know, just based on some of the the policies and stuff that they had, I thought I had always voted liberal. So I'd never thought about joining politics before 20, December 2013. Never been interested, never took a poli-sci course. Just decided in March of 2014 that I was going to run. Just a decision, very easy, ran. So always voted liberal, decided to become a member of the Liberal Party. Then I got an email on International Women's Day that said, do you, do you invite her to run? Do you know a woman who'd be interested in running in the next federal election? I was like, eh, yeah, sure, me. And then I ran, the rest is history. However, thinking about, you know, the multiculturalism that we, like my parents thought about when, when they think about Canada and coming to Canada, you know, Pierre Elliott Trudeau opening that door and letting us come into the country. It was sort of like this real, this real, oh my goodness, this is a great thing, you know? And when I got in, I realized in, so I was elected October, 2015. In December, 2015, I had a meeting with the prime minister and I, I, sorry, elected October, 2015, November, 2015. So the month later, cabinet was announced and Trudeau made this famous because it's 2015 speech, right? That it was gender, um, gender parity in, in cabinet. And then they went on to say that this is the face of Canada. This cabinet is the face of Canada. And I was like, I'm like looking, I'm like going, okay. Hmm. You know how your parents look at you and <laughs> where they're going too close to the camera. I was looking, I'm like, there's a lot of people missing from this cabinet, but I don't see any black people. And so I publicly said it out loud that this ain't no face of Canada because I don't see me. And I guess that was my first strike against me because <laughs> you're not allowed to say things like that. And so when I met with the prime minister in December of 2015, after being named as parliamentary secretary, I said, look, I'm not interested in being a token in this government. What I, I'm, I'm perfectly happy being the member of parliament for Whitby. I don't need a title. The response was, of course not. You're not going to be a token. You're here on merit. We have a great relationship, blah, 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 blah. Cool. Bring forward 2016. 2016, um, as parliamentary secretary, for your listeners who don't know, uh, parliamentary secretary works with their minister, minister of finance, minister of health, whatever. I'm the prime minister's parliamentary secretary. We're supposed to work as a tag team. Any meetings, events that the prime minister can attend, I will attend on his behalf. That way we cover a lot more ground, okay? Fairly simplistic, not that hard. The prime minister in 2016 was doing a lot of international travel, like a, a, an exceptional amount of international travel. The only three international travel trips that I was given, I was only given three, in a year. The first was to the White House state dinner with Obama, in which I wasn't invited to the dinner, and I wasn't given any meetings or any other responsibilities. I was just invited to the White House to meet with Obama, and that was it. The second was the opening of the, in, the uh, National African American Museum in Washington, D.C. The third was the inauguration of President Okufuado in Ghana. Three events all of them very black focused. And I was like, not only am I a token, this is embarrassing. <laughs> First of all, 
three? Like, I actually am smart. I, I'm, I'm actually very strategic. And you send me to three events with no responsibility except to sit there and be black. So 2016 was the year I call the tokenism year. 2017 was the year I called the exclusion year, where, of course, everybody knows in 2018, the federal budget for the first time ever named black communities in the budget and recognized the international decade, the UN decade for people of, of African descent. The federal government recognized that and put black people in the budget. When those two things were announced, I was surprised. I had no idea they were coming. So 2017, I call the year of exclusion. I was excluded from every single meeting that, that had to do with the black community in particular. I felt because I was really bold, I asked for very specific things. I asked them to keep their promises on mandatory, repealing mandatory minimums. I was pushing them to be bold. I was pushing them to be better. There was no way that the $50 million in the 2018 budget would have been good enough for me because I would have done the math on that and said, there is no way you're giving us 50 million It's calling that a victory. So 2017 was my exclusion year. And then 2018 was the year that they set me on fire with everything that happened with Maxine Bernier, um, telling a white man to check his privilege. I wasn't allowed to do that. And, you know, it's one thing to have media and um, the opposition gaslight you. It's another thing to have to not have your own party step in to protect you. And they did not do that. So they watched me burn. So within the political system, do you feel like there's a way to be taken seriously? Um, or is it still kind of a trap of optics in trying to do everything to protect an image without having any substance or actual policy? Well, see, that's the difference between performative and substantive leadership. And of course, there's a way for, for us to not be tokenized. That tone is set from the leadership. It's set from the top. So it's, it's, not, it's not about whether or not we can be in politics and be and not be tokenized that happens because leadership <laughs> decides to make that decides to make a performance their mandate a performative measures part of their mandate Hence the reason why we didn't we did not see a repeal of mandatory minimums in the 42nd Parliament. Yes, BC Bill C-22 was tabled a couple of days ago, but it doesn't have any teeth. They didn't repeal mandatory minimums when they had a majority government. So remember, not only was I in a 42nd Parliament with a bold, transformative government do differently, sunny ways, diversity is our strength, add women, change politics kind of crew. I was there with a majority, 180 plus people. If we wanted to change the name from Canada to something else, we could have done that. We had that majority. You know what I mean? So if we wanted to repeal mandatory minimums, it would have been done. It would have been done. So in, in, that, in that product, of understanding where I was, of course, I'm going to push them to do more because we have the majority. What are we going to do? Wait until a minority? Boom. See what happened last week? You wait until you have a minority government and then you want to repeal mandatory minimums. What do you think is going to happen with Bill C-22? You think we're going to repeal them? Come on now. Like, let's make it make sense. 
just let, let's just let's make it make sense for a minute. You have an opportunity. You choose not to do this. Now you're going to continue to perform. Hey, black people, look what we're doing. We table C22. He's table C22. First of all, you didn't you didn't include all of the mandatory minimums that are that have been deemed unconstitutional and that you know do not change any safety for Canadians. You should have removed them all. You put some out there and then you want to claim some kind of victory. <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. It, it seems like it's not real, but th the record is showing on the performative nature of this government. How do you feel about, I guess, the politics these days and whether, you know, there can still be any good to be done. You know, you mentioned how, you know, it comes from the leadership, it comes from the top down. We have, you know, three big federal parties in in in, uh, in Canada. We have, you know, different political cultures across the country, provincially, um, municipally, that's a whole other story. But when it comes to actually doing good, actually passing policies that are substantive, not just, you know, performative, not just pandering, um, do you feel like there's room still in the future and the present to actually make things happen in a meaningful way for the black community or for every community, really? Yes, of course. It, it, of course. Um, uh, the, the system isn't broken. It's just that the, the, two, the two parts of that system, the two major parts, which is the political players on the inside and the actual democracy on the outside. Remember, democracy comes from the Greek word demos, words demos meaning, um, meaning people and kratos meaning power or power of, power of the people. The people, Canadians, black communities have the power. We have the power to sway political will. The unfortunate part of this is that what tends to happen, not just with black communities, but with most Canadians, we are so disenfranchised by the political establishment that the only real thing that we do, if we do it, is vote. We don't engage, we don't push the status quo. How many people are, are sending messages right now to the federal government about Bill C-22? There's 37 million Canadians in this country, one million of them are black. How many letters do you think they got about Bill C-22? Not a lot. Right? We need the power of the people to push action in between the moments when you vote. We need that to happen. We also need the responsibility of the political leadership to actually do what is right and not what is politically expedient. So telling me during the 42nd parliament that we cannot re repeal mandatory minimums because it won't poll well, because conservatives are gonna say we're soft on crime. What the heck does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with people's lives that you are supposed to be writing legislation for? People who are, who are over-incarcerated, Black and Indigenous people who are over-incarcerated in, in federal prisons. When we look at the Globe and Mail article that was done last year, I believe it was last year, anyway, within the last couple of years, that looked at bias within the criminal justice system, when they accounted for all other factors, racism was the cause. Racism was the cause why we have overrepresentation of black and indigenous people in our federal prison system. That's it. We're not, we're not worse. We're not, we're not bad people. 
the system is bad. The system is rigged. And this is not Selena saying that. This is, this is an, a, a, a research study that went in and looked at that, looked at the variables, accounted for those variables and said, this is what it is. And then you have a government that's saying, well, we're not going to get rid of that racism just yet because you know what? If we do, then I may not get elected again next time. Who's supposed to stay in that, like me being the one black woman in that, in, not just in government, not just in that 180, but in that 338 people, the one that's saying, no, you cannot do that. No, I will not stand for that. No. How many times do I want to just keep beating my head against the wall? By the end, I wasn't at the table. They had me on the menu. By 2018, I was... Yeah, yeah, I was at the table. I was on it. <laughs> why, why would I stay there? But that's not to say that we shouldn't be there. That's not to say that we shouldn't run, but run in packs. You know what I mean? We need, we need a critical mass of people who are going to push to do differently. When the Parliamentary Black Caucus put out their statement, at the beginning of the 43rd parliament, it included NDPs, it included um, other people, it could be people like, like Matthew Green, who was pushing to ensure that they included a number of demands. And you know, listening to him do a podcast the other day, he was on Black in the Maritime saying, they would not have done this if it wasn't for Selena, but I don't think they would have done this if they didn't have someone like Matthew Green there right now pushing them as well. Right. So we need and it doesn't matter really what party we run in. We just need people in there to say, OK, we need to push because without a critical mass of people who are going to say let's push to do things differently, you become complacent. And that's unfortunate for people who need our help. What are, what I guess are you looking forward to in, in the future? I know you just released your new book um, and you're you're still working on a lot of these issues. So what, what I guess can people look forward to when it comes to uh, the kind of work that you're doing? Look forward to continuing to see me disrupt. You know, um, the more they say that I'm attacking the government, the more I think, well, good, I guess I'm doing my job. Because anytime women, especially black women, are passionate about anything, they're called all kinds of names. When, when if, if I was a, a white man, it would be my conviction is pushing the government. But Selena attacks the government. Go ahead. They're going to talk about me anyway. So I might as well do something historic for them to talk about, right? <laughs> so I might as well continue to push. When you, when you put Bill C-22 and you table that, I'm going to tell you that's not enough. When... Last week, they had a round table around gender-based violence and talked about a historic $2.5 million commitment to Black organizations to deal with gender-based violence. I'm going to call that out because in 2018, one organization, Equal Voice, got $3.7 million for one program. Now you have dozens of Black organizations around the table to deal with gender-based violence in the middle of a pandemic when we know gender-based violence is increasing and you give them 2.5. Hmm. 
I'm telling you right now, I'm not interested in crumbs off your table because I know how much food is on there. I had the courage to run and be at that table. I know how much bounty is on that table. Don't give me the crumbs. I'm not interested in that today. Don't you dare give me the crumbs that fall off that table because I know how much food is on it. I was on the menu. Even with all the food you had on that table, you still put me on the menu. So don't you think for one minute that I'm gonna take a crumb. No way, I'll call that out and I'll continue to call it out. And sometimes they say, you know, you need to, you need to call, you can't call out, you need to call in or something like that. I'm not that good a person, I'm sorry. I, I just, I'm not, I'm not at that level of finding Jesus yet or whoever I need to find, I don't know, Buddha, somebody. I'm not there yet. So I'm just gonna keep calling out and that's just me. Is it everybody? No. Do people say Selena's a little much? Yes. Do I change? Not really. No, I'm good. I'm just gonna keep doing me. <laughs> doing me i don't know i don't know i i don't know if i i i you know what i actually do i actually do or i try to like i try to change i try to be like you know selena maybe today you're going to be nice about how you tweet <laughs> and then i'm like nah <laughs> that just requires too many words and i only have 140 characters Okay, so I, I, I think that's it for my questions, but I, I want to make sure that um, we cover anything else that you want to cover. So is there anything else that we didn't talk about that you think we should talk about when it comes to um, any of these things? You know, your time in politics, um, some of these policy issues that you mentioned, you know, like prison reform. Um, and I, I guess I guess this show is largely, um, or at least the season of this show is largely about um policing um and defunding the police so is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to mention yeah i want it i want i i purposely didn't touch that because i want people to understand there's so much more to do so you know you get people who say oh i don't really like the defund the police thing fine pick another lane pick, pick a pick a health care lane a child welfare lane an education lane. pick another lane i don't care what lane you put pick. but it doesn't absolve you from actually doing the work there's a lot of work to be done, so pick a lane. But the, the one thing that I'll, I'll leave with is that if we are going to get involved in politics, if we're going to show up, if representation is supposed to matter, then make sure that when you do show up, you show up as 100% your authentic self. Don't hide parts of you to fit into a system that never intended for you to be there anyway. Our democracy was built on a principle of exclusion where they didn't have women, indigenous people, black people. We weren't supposed to be there. And then that status quo was reinforced by racist, anti-black, racist and oppressive policy, the Indian Act, anti-black immigration policy. It was reinforced, reinforced the status quo. And then we want to show up and fit into something. We weren't supposed to be there. So show up as 100% yourself. Otherwise, that place will crush you as it almost did me. I, I, I've experienced that when you try to fit in and it, they, they just steamroll over you. And then you just say, no, be yourself, show up 100%. Know that your blackness, 
your intersecting identities, whatever it is that you bring, your experience, your flaws, your mistakes, your struggle, your perseverance, your determination, every single one of these things adds together to create value in you. And therefore you are an asset to any organization, institution, conversation, or policy that you develop, period. And if they can't see that, if they cannot see that value, then it is their loss. It is not a function of your inability. It is their loss. Moving beyond tokenism and performative politics is something that I worry about constantly, especially in the state of local politics in Edmonton when it comes to action taken to create so-called reforms concerned with policing in our city. Things like the creation of new committees, boards, and positions to solve a problem that simply takes political will and courage to do. There is still quite a bit of work to be done within a political system that's consistently prone to taking action on a surface level, especially when it comes to issues that impact the black community. I'm really not sure what it will take to really turn the tides on this trend in politics, but Selena's last words on moving in a pack and bringing your authentic self to the table really left an impression on me in our conversation. I've experienced my own challenges when it comes to calling out racism, especially during my time in more traditional media spaces. Back then, when I experienced something that was racist, or patterns of behavior that I knew weren't right, I mostly kept to myself because of the fear that I think a lot of people feel when calling things out. Progress on these issues won't be made by staying quiet, and Selena is truly right about the fact that regardless of if you try to fit in or call out the system, it's largely staying the same and perpetuating norms that alienate and exclude you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Is This For Real? And especially thank you to Selena for joining me on today's show. A special thank you also goes out to the hundreds of listeners who've continued to support us through Patreon. When we first started the show, I couldn't have imagined we'd continue to receive this amount of support, and I'm grateful for all the contributions we've received so far. Thank you again for listening, and take care.